0: Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong with the pleasure to be here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Jason, I'm doing great. I hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. I'm very excited for the show today. We've got a lot on the docket here. and. First up, um, we're talking COVID vaccine.
1: Well, well, I wanted to share. Um, uh, frankly, I think it, it, it's really, really important, and I want to strongly encourage everyone to sign up and get their vaccination for COVID um, as soon as they can, when it's their turn. You know, it's. Uh, I am just so pleased <laughs> to report that I had um, my second vaccine. Uh, this past Wednesday. And I can't tell you how many clients I've talked to um, who fall into the over 65 crowd, uh, just like me, uh, who have had difficulty. Uh, Some folks have reported uh, going to Oxford and Henderson and out of, in essence, out of county in order to uh, simply try to uh, get the vaccination where it seems impossible to get it in Wake County, and of course the Wake County Health Deport- Department reported that they had eighty thousand people on their waiting list, and this is just for the you know healthcare workers and the over sixty-five crowd. And of course now, and the good news too is that now teachers are in that line, I, and I. I'm really pleased to see that because one of my uh, concerns has been over our sandwiched generation. And, and, you know, that basically means the middle-aged crowd that still has children that are in school and they have all of those responsibilities, which, you know, their needs for their kids have quadrupled during this pandemic. And, uh, I mean, I don't know of anybody that's had a more difficult time. I mean, the seniors around, heck, you know, (laughs) uh, we're—we're—feel like we're captured indoors and that sort of thing, but we don't have to deal with all of the other things. And, of course, one of the biggies are school-age kids, and they're being at home and trying to get them educated, and the fear that they're going to fall way behind because— Of the fact that they're not in school, I mean they're doing the best that they can. But um, you know that's a real tragedy for this this country, or or for the kids who really aren't getting the attention they need um, because they're not in school. And of course there are other situations where they're not. Some of them are not being fed because they're not going to school. And you know it's just a lot of different issues, but. That's really not what I was trying to talk about. We know all that stuff. <laughs> you know you don't have you, you, you know that's just some of the basic th- stuff that that as citizens we're having to deal with. But what I wanted to share with folks is you might ask, how in the heck did I get an appointment? Well, I w- have to give a shout out because Wake med has done a fantastic, job, where it seems that everybody else in this area has done a horrible job in terms of making it easy for people to go online and get an appointment. And of course, uh, trying to telephone is even worse, because how do you even make that work? And of course, the seniors who don't have a computer or a smartphone, they all have kids and grandkids who can do it for them. So... You know, here's the deal. I would tell you this, and every person that we have recommended this pathway to get an appointment has been able to get an appointment within a day or two where they have a confirmed appointment, uh, and they go, and everything's great. And, I, I mean, I have just been amazed at how well and proficient and efficient that WakeMed has made getting this vaccine. So uh, not only a shout out to WakeMed and their administrators and their nurses and everybody who's involved in this organization, but I'll give a shout out to whoever their IT people are. They, uh, it is so easy to do and it, it doesn't t- take long. Frankly, the state of North Carolina should contract with Wake Med's IT people to have a similar site for every place that's trying to do COVID vaccinations. It's amazing uh, how they do it. But you do have to go online at Wake Med and create a my chart for Wake Med vaccinations. Fairly easy to do. Doesn't take long. And and then go online two or three times a day, and it might take you a day or two, as long as you're in that priority list. I mean, you mean you have to be a healthcare worker or over sixty-five, or now the new priority list that includes teachers and who else is included in that? Do you remember law that? enforcement? Yeah. Um,
0: that kind of crowd.
1: Well, uh, that and and those folks are all oh, yeah, and I think I believe it also includes uh, um, grocery store right. clerks and some others as well. All folks who need to be vaccinated uh, sooner than the healthy young people. Um, but um, it, it's it's you know we're going to get there, and and one of the the great news, frankly, is the fact that um, that the infection rate has fallen fairly significantly and I think everyone was worried that the Super Bowl was go- <laughs> was uh, going to impact uh, our infection rates but the hospitals are, are I won't say they're back to normal but but they're in a place where they can start doing things that they have normally done without the huge impact of, in their ICUs and and just the beds in the hospital. So, you know, across the state, things are, in fact, getting better, and that just gives us greater hope. But it's all a a matter of us continuing to be vigilant. Uh, And I can assure you, even uh, now that I've gotten my second vaccination, and, of course, I know that it'll be two or three weeks before I'm at that maximum uh, immunity uh, stage but I'm I'll still be out there wearing my mask washing my hands keeping distance uh because all of it's going to be important for us to continue to do that uh, for our own safety and the safety of others um uh, uh and so I just uh, it, you know this is so important to us but I cannot tell you how easy it is to create a my chart and to get an appointment through WakeMed. Uh, and in my experience, trying to go to UNC, their website is awful. They basically don't even have a waiting list. You know, they're saying just call us back or come back online, and you can do it multiple times. And there's never an appointment available there. Uh, Duke uh, Health. I created a my chart at Duke the first within the first two days that it was available. And I've been on the waiting list ever since for about two months and have never heard a peep out of, of Duke Health. Whereas Wake Med, no problem, got an appointment. I'm, I'm already getting my second shot. Or, you know, I've already gotten my second shot. So it's the kind of thing where, it, it's, to me, I just wish everybody else was doing it the way WakeMed is doing it.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. Things might be clipping along a little bit faster if that were the case, but that's a wonderful suggestion for those who may be trying to get an appointment to get a vaccine. That's uh, something that they can explore on their own and hopefully go ahead and get vaccinated as soon as possible. Well, when we come back, we're going to have a conversation about good estate planning. It's something that uh, you know we talk about when we talk about asset protection, but We don't really get into uh, the nitty-gritty of what exactly good estate planning is, and we're going to do that in our next section. So stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's also where you can register for Bill's upcoming seminars. Next set coming up on Wednesday, March 10th. These cover uh, long-term care assistance, Medicaid, and also veterans, uh, benefits as well. These are things that can help us with the troubles when it comes to long-term care. And Bill, you also have a seminar dedicated to asset protection and trust planning. Wgalaw.com is the website. Just click on that seminars button to register for free. Bill, we want to get into a conversation about estate planning and what good estate planning entails.
1: Well, I think that's really important, but if you just uh, get right down to the basics of what a good estate plan is, it's where your plan, in other words, what you want to happen during your lifetime and at your death actually happens. You know, that's a plan that works. And, and of course, if you didn't catch it, uh, estate planning is far more than just what happens to my property when I die. Uh, it has to do, what about during your lifetime? What about those times that you might not be in control completely because of the you're disabled or you're just old. <laughs> well it's the kind of thing where um, it's it is important uh, and and of course my experience is that a lot of folks um, uh, think that there are only certain ways to do things. I mean one of the things that surprises me when I talk to clients about, options, they really don't know, that, or they didn't know that they could do a lot of things. And once they know that there are actually some options out there that let them do things that they hadn't thought about, I I would say uh, a lot of my clients actually choose one of those options. Because what do we want to do? I mean, typically we want to, number one, take care of ourselves Number two, we want to take care of our spouse and make sure that our spouse is in good financial shape uh, uh, at our death, uh, it, you know. Uh, and then uh, most of us, uh, th- those of us who have children, uh, we, we want uh, something uh, to help our children in the best way possible. And for those without children, it's whatever our passion is. In other words, we want our money to follow our passions, hopefully. Um, and, and and, And then, of course, there are those folks who just don't really care. You know, it's like, well, when I die, it doesn't matter what happens to my money. I don't really care. I'm gone, so whatever. But those folks are not normal. (laughs) (laughs) At least they're not my normal client. Let's put it that way. I shouldn't say they're not normal. They're, you know, that's, I guess that's an okay way to think about things. But for the, uh, you know, now that, so the bottom line for a client, the, the basics of, you know, what is good estate planning is that whatever they have in mind is Actually, accomplished. Their plan works. Now, from my perspective, it goes beyond that because, in in essence, uh, knowing how most of my clients think and feel, it's about how do I protect my property during my lifetime? How do I control my property and uh, keep the maximum amount of independence? During my lifetime, and uh, so that's that's important to to us as seniors. It's important to you as someone who's very young. Is how do I control my property and keep my independence and and be able to do as I wish with my money and my assets? And then at my death, how do I leave my property to? To whomever I want to leave it to, now that typically would be a spouse and/or children and grandchildren. But whomever that is, could be charities or partially to charities. But to whom I want to leave it to, how I want to leave it to them, as opposed to simply here it is, it's yours to waste and throw away and and the like. We we want our as the heritage that we leave our children to be lasting. We we don't like the idea of it being uh, gone in a couple years or less, which is, quite frankly, happens all the time. Uh, In fact, the Bankers Association many years ago did a study, uh, and regardless of age, education, and the amount of the inheritance, do you know how long most people actually keep an inheritance?
0: Oh, I couldn't, couldn't venture to tell Well, you.
1: this was an old study. I'm, talking, I'm going back 20 years ago, but it was 19 months. The majority of people, everything they inherited was gone within 19 months, regardless of the uh, person's age, education, or the amount of the inheritance. That's pretty sad. But, okay, going back. So how do we leave our property to whomever we want to leave it to? How we want to leave it to them— when we want to get it, and all at the lowest cost to us, and in terms of court costs, income, and estate taxes, uh, and fees. So, because nobody wants to be ripped off <laughs> when it comes to uh, court costs or taxes that could be avoided with planning. Or, or legal fees or other fees. And so it all works out together. So it's how do I control my property during my lifetime? Uh, how do I take care of those I love? Uh, or my passions, uh, if, if, it, if that's appropriate. Uh, and then how, how do I get my, the property that I've created, the wealth I've created during my lifetime, how do I get it to those I love the way I want them to receive it? You know, how, when uh, I want them to re- receive it at the lowest possible cost to me and to them. So, you know, uh, it sounds funny, but, but uh, most of the trust planning that I do has little has some to do but it has little to do with the folks creating the trust in other words the husband and wife who's creating the trust the great majority of the trusts i'm doing is because they want to package how their children receive their inheritance and they want to protect it for them they many of my clients want to make sure it's protected from the possibility that they may suffer a divorce during their lifetime, and they don't want their their estate being split with the spouse in a in a divorce, they want their property to to stay with their child and and go to their grandchildren eventually if it's uh, if there's enough there to make that happen. So. There's uh, a lot of issues there, but that's what good planning is all about. Now, what the next? What I want to go to next, Jason, is what are the mistakes? You know, how does people screw this up? <laughs> you know, and so uh, basically, what I really want to talk about next is. Uh, The kinds of mistakes that people make, sometimes they make it because they've gotten bad advice. Sometimes they make it because they've actually gone to the wrong attorney, uh, or they just get their advice from their neighbor or their uncle or someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, Or they basically go it alone. They don't get any advice at all. Or they do the worst thing, which is, they don't do anything that, you know, they don't get documents done by anybody. Uh, and it's just it, the chips fall where they may. So anyway, that's what I want to talk about.
0: Well, that'll be an interesting discussion because, you know, those who are interested in this topic or who want to achieve uh, a wonderful estate plan, you know, bad information can be extremely dangerous. And as we often say on this program, you don't know what you don't know. So stick around for that segment. We'll get to that. And don't forget, WGALaw.com is where you can find more information about Bill. If you want to schedule an appointment or a chance to speak with him, you can do that online at WGALaw.com. Com. You can also call the office at 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. Taking a quick break, but we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com, that's also where you can register for Bill seminars happening on Wednesday, March 10th. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking about creating an estate plan and making sure it's a good one. And Bill, just before uh, the end of the last segment, we were discussing that mistakes that people make with bad advice or no advice, or trying to go at it alone, or as you said, worst of all, not doing anything at all.
1: Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, I just want to bring up a number of examples that I think will help people uh, understand how they they can screw up because uh, it's not hard to do. All right. Now, uh, the I would say most people do at least go to an attorney and get documents done. So that's a good thing, you know. So typically, their documents, as drawn and executed, uh, are done, uh, executed properly, and the documents are effective to do what was intended at the time the documents are created. But, you know, one thing that's constant in our life is change. And, you know, if we did documents five or ten years ago, Things may have changed since then, uh, and we need to make a change, or we want to make a change to our documents. So the first mistake I see, and this is not all that uncommon, is the fact that we've done a document, and it could be a last will and testament, or it happens all the time with a power of attorney well, it's like, well, I've got this document, and I've named uh, my friend as my agent uh, under my power of attorney. And uh, my friend has moved away, and I need somebody else. Well, I've got a good document. I, all I need to do is substitute a name in here. So guess what they do? They take their document, with a, and with a pen, they strike out that person's name, and then they write in, the new person's name that they want to appoint, and they think that's an effective change to their document. Guess what? It's not. In fact, it invalidates the document because one thing about legal documents is the fact that they have to be executed, they have to be signed, that's a fancy word for signed, in a certain way with witnesses and or a notary with everybody together and things like that. So, marking out a good document and making little changes. And this happens all the time with wills, you know, because sometimes, you, I mean, it's not just because a person changes, like an agent or maybe your spouse dies or, or gets disabled or whatever, and you want to make a change. Well, guess what? What most people do when they take a pin to it is they've screwed up. You should never mark on your original documents, because if you do, it, it is highly likely that you will invalidate it. Now, if you want to mark on a photocopy to so that you can take it to the lawyer to say, I want these changes, okay, that's fine. But then you're going to execute a new document or an amendment that will be consistent and valid and work. But so many people just do that. Now, I have to tell you another story, which is very recent. Um, uh, a fella uh, brought a codicil for me to review. Now, what's a codicil? You know, we you, we lawyers love to to use these fancy words. Uh, codicil simply means a change to your last will and testament. So it's an amendment. Sometimes you're substituting a name, or you're substituting, striking a paragraph, and and this now. Frankly, um, I, I rarely do codicils anymore in my law office. Why? Because of word processing. It's easier, faster, and cheaper just to do a new document rather than to change an old document, particularly if we've done the old document. <laughs> okay. So now, back in the dark ages, when I started practicing law, codicils were very common why we were using typewriters and carbon paper and wills tended to be about three pages long and a codicil would be a one pager okay but guess what since word processing we're not limited like that anymore but people do now if i have a 15 page will uh which i do at times uh and i need to make a small change maybe a codicil would be um uh, the appropriate thing to do under those circumstances. However, so what happened with this codicil? Well, my associate in this firm about 10 years ago actually had prepared the original last will and testament and also had prepared a revocable trust agreement for the client and had also helped the client transfer her home and some other property into the, in essence, into the trust. Okay, transferred it to the trustee. So go down the road 10 years, and, and that uh, particular will said uh, what we, is pour-over will. It was like, okay, whatever I have left in my probate estate or anything that I haven't already put in my trust at my death, put it in my trust. And then it had a contingent thing that said, if my trust doesn't exist anymore, because of course it's a revocable trust, which means she could have revoked it, it basically said, if in that case, I leave everything to my uh, niece, all right? And so uh, now, so we go down the road, and let's just say it was eight years ago. It was some something like that. And... The bottom line is the lady creates a codicil. Now, did she come back to us to do it? No. Do I have any clue who did this codicil? No. Could it have been done by an attorney? Maybe, but probably not. You know, so it it seemed to be a valid codicil. But what did it do? All it did was it said, substitute my brother for my niece, in essence. It didn't change anything about everything going into the trust, so the substitution from the niece to the brother was only a contingent part of the will. Now, the codicil also had the wrong date of the will, but that was a typo, and that really wouldn't affect the validity of the change to the will. But guess what? Most of the property was in the trust, not in the probate estate. The will only affects the probate estate, has nothing to do with the trust that she created. So the trust left everything to the niece. The will, as amended, if it had been drawn properly and effective, would have changed the probate estate to the brother from the niece. But the codicil wasn't drawn properly, so that actually the will, the, even as the codicil was effective, it still would have uh, meant that everything would go to the trust and then be distributed to the niece. So, pretty screwy, right? Well, that's what happens when you get either bad advice or no advice, because this codicil was extraordinarily poorly drawn if you assume that you know what the intention of the uh, client was to substitute her brother for her niece, it wasn't effective at all. So guess what? This plan, this document, as it changed, didn't do what she wanted, apparently. I mean, it was ineffective. So her plan did not work. Now, does she still love Did she love her niece? Yes. uh, But Her niece was having some issues that she was concerned about, and that's why she left things to her brother rather than to her niece, or she attempted to, I should say. So those are the kind of things that you can come up with when you try to go it alone, because this, unfortunately, she tried to make the change, but it didn't work. And that's, you know, that's a lesson to be learned. You can make lots of mistakes. Well, i got lots more mistakes to talk about. I know you're looking at me like we have to come back. We do need to take a quick break here, but um, I'm digging these
0: stories, Bill. I'm liking it, and I think this is helpful because, you know, having bad information or being under the impression that you're trying to do one thing when that's not going to work, you know, that's 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 not a, a place that any of us want to be in. So having correct and accurate professional advice is so important if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with bill maybe you need some advice of your own go to wgalaw.com it's very easy to schedule an appointment to speak with bill you can also register for his free seminars happening on wednesday march 10th This is a wonderful way to find information about long-term care assistance and the uh, burdensome financial costs associated with that and how you may qualify if you're a middle-class person. You may be able to qualify for government assistance. This is what Bill specializes in, and these seminars provide you with very valuable information to understand that. And Bill also has another seminar dealing with asset protection and trust planning. Just go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button, or you can call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We're taking a quick break, but we will be back with more. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more about him online at wga law.com, wga law.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, I've I've learned a new word today and that's codicil. So I'm uh, I've you know, this is a very educational program for me, but uh, before the break you were telling us a story about a woman who wanted to uh, amend her plan, uh, you know, it was it a, a, a niece to a brother? Or was that what we were trying to and accomplish? Of course, the
1: brother was the father of the niece. Right. But, but um, and they were all close. But but the question is, what should what would have worked for this lady? Well, first of all, she chose the wrong document to to change. She should have done a very simple amendment to her trust. You know, you can amend a revocable trust at at any time, uh, and all she had to do was amend her trust. But in insta- and then she wouldn't have had to change her will. All she, I mean, because the will said, "Put it in my trust." So, in essence, whoever helped her, if she had help at all, chose the wrong document to change. And so, uh, the the uh, frankly if she had just simply made a very simple change to her trust agreement she could have accomplished what she wanted to accomplish so um that's where you, she either got no advice or very bad advice on how to accomplish an objective which failed because she didn't do it right all right so what else uh, another issue that happens all the time, unfortunately. And this has to do uh, with uh, sometimes more complex planning, but people create trust agreements. And sometimes it's a will-based situation, but uh, it's still the same. And, And the sad news is many trusts, many wills do not work Because the uh, folks never change how they own the title to their property. And you have to understand, when you acquire property, oftentimes it's the title to that property is done not by your estate planner, but it might be because you bought some real estate and the title is put in your name a certain way. You go to the bank, they set up your account a certain way. You uh, invest your money uh, uh, with an investment advisor, and they set up an account a certain way. And it's like, okay, do it that way. Okay, whatever's best. You know, we're trusting these people to uh, help us make those kind of decisions. Uh, We create a retirement account, and we have to uh, do our beneficiary designation. Typically, that's first to our spouse and then to our children equally, but not always. Same thing is true with life insurance policies and annuities. Well, guess what? Most of us who are married, when we set up accounts, and we've not been to an estate planner yet, uh, we set up accounts almost universally joint with right of survivorship. Okay? And while our real estate in North Carolina is called tenants by the entirety uh, when we acquire real estate when we're married, it's it's very similar. It's joint with right of survivor. So when one dies, it all goes to the survivor. Well, I have seen numerous trust agreements. Sometimes they're done for tax planning purposes. Sometimes they're done for asset protection planning purposes or remarriage planning purposes or disability planning purposes or or the like. Uh, Oftentimes it's because it's a couple that's a second or third marriage with children by previous marriages. And so there are issues that go beyond taking care of your spouse um so in other words the plannings uh for those folks and and life is more complex today in a lot of ways um you know children don't live next door they don't live down the street most of the time Uh, and so there are a lot of issues that families face today that they did not face uh, many many years ago so guess what you create a trust Uh, either uh, what we call a living trust while you're alive or you create a trust in your will uh, which basically might do some other things but if we don't change how we own our property our plan's not going to work. Why? Because if you have a complex plan you're not leaving everything directly to your spouse but if you don't change title to your property guess what? Your spouse gets it all no matter what your other documents say. You can have a great, what I call an AB family marital trust for tax planning purposes, but if you've never changed the title, then everything's going to go to your spouse because the bank account says it goes to the survivor. The investment account goes to the survivor. The real estate goes to the survivor. The life insurance goes to the beneficiary and the retirement account goes to the beneficiary. You've never changed it. It's unfortunate, but Many attorneys will do your documents for you, and they should be effective and good the day they're done for you, but oftentimes the attorneys do not go the next step, which is essential to making your plan work, and that next step is helping you revise how you own your property, how title is held by you and or your spouse to make your plan work. And uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, and, of course, uh, frankly, it may be based on how much you pay for that plan because, you know, if if you only pay the, the cheapest price uh, uh, there where the attorney's doing the simplest documents possible and uh, and without options and things like that, you're going to get what you pay for. Uh, in essence. Uh, And of course, the same thing is true. It's even worse if you try to do documents on your own by going online or whatever, because frankly, just as you started off this segment, you don't know what you don't know. And how are you going to know what your options are or what you might have done if you're just filling in the blanks online? It just doesn't work. So obviously the better advice you have, the better you're going to be able to not only have the right documents in place, but that they will work the way you want them to work and that your plan actually works. That's what it's all about in terms of uh, of uh, planning. Um, so uh, with that said, so what else can change? And this is Consistent with with what I I was just talking about, um, uh, and that is, uh, uh, oftentimes uh, you will have a good plan put in place, uh, and I can say that this has happened, and you uh, you'll hear me talk about this from time to time. This has happened in my planning where I have already helped people change how they hold their property after I've done. Uh, a a really good plan for them. And this can be true for those families that are very high-end and have done a complex plan for estate tax or income tax purposes. It can also be true for other families that have less, but they've done a Medicaid plan to protect each other. Um, And uh, I will always be mad at the banker who convinced my client who had done a wonderful Medicaid plan. His wife was already on Medicaid. He had several hundred thousand dollars in the bank. And the banker just said, Mr. Smith, why don't you change uh, and, and have a beneficiary on your account at the bank so that this property won't go through probate? Well, that banker cost the family a couple hundred thousand dollars because, you know, he thought the banker knew what he was talking about. The banker never communicated with the estate planning attorney. The banker never asked him if he had any kind of complex estate plan in place. And guess what? He signed it. And so it basically told the bank to give all the money to his wife, who was in the nursing home on Medicaid, and his plan would ha- that we had created for him would have protected every penny. She would have stayed on Medicaid, and the money could have been used to supplement her care in the nursing home and then go to the children when she died. But no, the banker had to make it easy on him, which basically screwed up his plan because he, with the advice of the banker, changed how the ownership of the property, in essence, what would happen at his death. It was set up perfectly, and the banker screwed it up. That happens because, you know, this is why professionals need to be talking to each other before they do this. This is why bankers and investment advisors and estate planning attorneys and CPAs, need to coordinate so that they don't make these kinds of mistakes because it's the families that are victimized by the professionals that don't coordinate and that's a real shame uh, but it's truthfully bankers and investment advisors are notorious about setting up accounts a certain way and guess what the bankers are and the investment advisors truthfully are trying to make the administration of those accounts easier on them, the bankers and investment advisors, rather than to be consistent with whatever estate plan is in place. The fact is a well-drawn will is far better in terms of having provisions, contingency provisions, so that if you have a beneficiary who dies, then it goes where you want it to go the way you want it to. And for me, it normally is in some type of holdback trust for the children or grandchildren. But the beneficiary designations don't do that, so they're not nearly as good. Uh, And of course, if it's already in a trust, then you, you don't even have to worry about probate and those kinds of things. But the fact is, is that oftentimes the bankers are asking you to do these beneficiary designations not because it's in your best interest, but it's because it's easier for them to, so they know where to send the money uh, at your death uh, regardless. And another issue that comes up, that another huge mistake when it comes to that, is that more often than not, when you want to add one of your children to your account, let's say your spouse is deceased, uh, it, the way they, the bank set, sets it up oftentimes is detrimental to your family. And I know we have to take a break, so I will come back on that issue.
0: Excellent. We will be right back after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. And Bill, before we head out, you had one more piece of advice for us.
1: Well, oftentimes uh, when you bring a child with you to put their name on your account so they can help you pay your bills, guess what? They set up the account joint with right of survivorship when that's not your intention. Your intention is simply to have your child on the account to help you pay the bills so that they can legally sign. Well... It's a little more trouble to set up an account under an agency with a power of attorney, but that's how it should set up. Because basically, if you set it up joint with right of survivorship, then you're just asking for litigation. If there are other children, then there's a question. Did you intend for that child to receive the account at your death, all of it legally, because that's what happens? Or was it your intention just to have the child there to help you with your bills? Well, that's, you can litigate that. So if, if your intention was to just help you pay the bills, then the other children can basically sue to make sure that that is distributed. But the bottom line is, legally, it goes to the surviving child that's on that account. And that's oftentimes not what's intended. So guess what? That's a mistake. That's
0: why you need the professional guidance of an expert. Get a hold of Bill if that is something that you're interested in. You can schedule an appointment with him by going to WGALaw.com. We're out of time for today. We thank you so much for listening, and we hope you will do it again next weekend. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll see you next week.